Father, we bow before you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for all these that are lifting up their prayers to you. They're hurting. There are things going on in life that, Lord, only you can deal with and only you can fix. So, Father, we are trusting you to do that and lifting them up as well as we join together today to pray. Go with us now as we look into your word, and I pray that you would open it up before us and that we might leave here a little different than we were when we came in. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to go back 50 years, okay? So most of you ought to be able to help me with this, all right? But 50 years ago, there was a TV variety show, 1969, came out, and the name of it was Hee Haw. You remember Hee Haw? How many of you remember Hee Haw? All right. I'm going to sing a song here in a moment, and you're going to help me, okay? So don't bail out on me because I'm not a singer. But there was a skit that they would do. And there would be two of these country bumpkins, and they'd be standing there talking about how bad their life is. And they would say something like, well, Joe, he said, my wife left me, took the kids, and didn't leave me a forwarding address. The other guy would say, well, that's nothing. He said, my car caught on fire, my cow died, and the sheriff evicted me from my house. And then it would go on back and forth. And then they would break out in song. Does anybody remember that song? Okay, it goes like this, all together, if you can remember, and I know it's going to date you, but, you know, tell you how, tell people how old you are, but it goes like this, doom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Doom, despair, and agony on me. All right. I can't believe you guys remember that. (laughs) The rest of you are sitting there with this look like I'm totally embarrassed for you, Pastor. And I can understand that. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever felt that way? You felt doom, despair, and agony on me, and if it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck. You have been taken to the end of your rope. Your patience is frayed. Your, your rope is about to break, and then it gets worse after that. It doesn't get better. It seems to get worse. And you ask yourself, what in the world is God doing? Why is this taking place? Why is it happening in my life? Well, today I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you on the subject of why does God push us to our limits? Why does he take us there? Why doesn't God intervene before that? And there are some times in our lives that God does that. He takes us to, well, let me rephrase this. Sometimes he takes you beyond your limits. You think you can't bear anymore. You think you can't take anymore. And then God lays on more of it. I've heard people talk about this. Pastor, I don't know what God is doing. It seems like he's got me down and he's just kicking me. Nothing ever works out. It seems like it's getting worse and worse by the minute. And you want to know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do during this time? And why is it happening? And things like that. So today we're going to talk about that, but we're going to jump right into the scriptures. Because we are looking in the book of Judges. We're looking at this man, this judge called Gideon. And I'm going to, let me just set the stage here for a moment. God has told Gideon to go and fight the Midianites who have invaded the land of Israel. They have just camped there. They're eating up everything in sight. It's harvest uh, season. And they have come in with 135,000 troops, not to mention their wives and their children and everybody that came with them. They basically have set up camp there for the entire harvest season. And God says to Gideon, I want you to form, get together an army and go and fight them. And Gideon, he's scared to death, but he does it. He sends out the call. 32,000 soldiers have answered the call, and they've gathered there before Gideon. 
and they're waiting instructions. What do we do? And now Gideon is fast at work calculating. He pulls out his calculator and he's saying, okay, 135,000, I've got 32,000. That's four to one. So for every soldier that I have, this guy's got to kill four of them before getting killed. And he thinks to himself, he said, okay, that's doable. That's hard, but if God is going to help us, then that's at least doable and we can do that. But then things get worse. See, it was bad enough then, but now things have gotten worse. And this is where we pick up the story today. It's in chapter 7 of Judges. We're going to be looking at the first three verses. It says, early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into, the hand, into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's what they'll say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now, can you imagine that? Guys, I know we called you here, but if you're scared, you can go back. Well, yeah, two-thirds of them said, I'm scared, I'm leaving. So they left. The other 10,000 were just lying because I'm sure they were equally as scared at the thought of what they were confronting. Gideon, again, again he drags out his calculator and he's calculating. Okay, 10,000 troops and they've got 100. That's 13 to 1. Every one of my troops has to kill 13 of them in order for us to pull this off. And he thinks to himself, that's impossible. That can't be done. I don't care if God's with us or not. We can't do this. But things get worse. Verses 4 through 7, it says, But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Now, to get that, I will thin them out for you. Gideon's saying, please don't help me. You know, I don't want to thin them out. But if I say, the Lord says, if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, then he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank with cupped hands, lapping it like dogs. All the rest got down or kneeled down and drank from the stream. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. So 10,000 have now become 300. Now, there's nothing significant, I don't think, about the way God did it. He just said, these are the 300 um, for you to recognize and observe and, and, and take these guys with you, but the others can go home. So Gideon whips out his calculator. 450 to 1 now. For every one of my men, he has to kill 450. He said, this is absurd. This is not just impossible. This is ludicrous. This has gone beyond the bounds of what's reasonable. This is ridiculous. But God says, well, it's going to get worse. Because I want you to take an arm, all of your 300 men with a trumpet, with a torch, and a clay pot. We're going to light the torches. You're going to put the clay pot over the top so nobody can see it because you're going to attack at night. And you're going to take a trumpet. A trumpet in one hand, a torch in the other. Where's my weapon? Well, you can strap it on or leave it at home. I don't really care because you're not going to need it. 
Gideon saying, my gosh, what are you doing? What are you doing? I can't imagine what's going through his mind. But at this point, I at least want to introduce the question. Why does God do things like that? Why does God take you and put you in a terrible situation and then make it worse? Why does God put you in a terrible situation and make it impossible and then from there make it ridiculous? Why does he do that? You know, whatever it is going on in your life, you think to yourself, well, this is bad enough. But then things seem to get worse. And the harder you pray, the worse it gets. I've had people (laughs) say, Pastor, pray for me. I'll pray and things get worse. I prayed for John Billings that his heart would, would get well and God would heal him. And he had bypass. He accuses me of uh, my prayers not working. And uh, that's true because sometimes we pray and it just is not enough because things go from there to an even worse situation. I want you to continue the story with me as we look back now to Judges chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. Now Gideon's horrified. This is why God says what he says in the next verse. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. After your, afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. So God has got them down to 300. And he's already told him, I'm skipping along here, already told him you're going to break up those 300 into groups of hundreds and you're going to surround the camp. You look out, now they're up in the the hill country, the mountains, looking down into the valley, and all they can see as they look out into that valley are the little torches and campfires along the way that are out there, and it's more than they could ever number. The Bible has already told us it's like a bunch of locusts down there. They can't even number them. And you're to take your 300 men, split them up now, and go down there. But Gideon, if you're still afraid, now gosh, that is, what kind of question is that? If you're still afraid, then you go down just by yourself and hide behind the rocks down there close to the camp and just listen, okay? Because I'm going to encourage you with what you hear. Now, here's God has already done all these things for Gideon, the fleeces and the promises and all of this, and, God, and, and Gideon is still afraid, isn't he? Well, just like you and me, terrible things happen in our lives, and it seems like one thing after another. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight, and we are pressed to our limit, and we don't know where we're going to go from here because we don't, we're not real sure God even knows what he's doing. And I'm sure Gideon felt that way because you know what? God offered him, if you're afraid, you can do this. And he said, yeah, I'll do it because I'm scared to death. And that's exactly what he did. He does, he does go down. But, you know, we, we look at this and we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why does God push you to your limits? And the first thing that I want to point out to you is this. I believe God pushes you to your limits to show you who you really are. There are going to be times in life where God presses you to the point of breaking. Because God wants you to see that you know what, you're not this great 
bastion of faith that you claim to be. I want you to see that you're human. I want you to see that you have doubts and fears. I want you to see that you're not this person that you have built up in your mind and maybe the image that you portray to other people. I think God squeezes us at times to expose who we really are. Not that he doesn't know, but God wants you to see it. You see, God wants you and me to come to the understanding of just who we are because I have noticed in my life, and I think maybe it's true in yours as well, that we as Christians sometimes have what I call Sunday faith. You know what Sunday faith is? Sunday faith is when we all gather together as the church on Sunday and we go to our classes and we fellowship together and we sing songs of praise to God and we pray and we listen to the sermon and we are just so committed when we're here on Sunday morning. And man, we tell ourselves and we tell God, God, I will stand for you. I will fight for you. I will go and do anything that you lead me to do. But then something happens. You know what that is? Monday comes along. And then on Monday we go back to work and back to school. And we're not around other Christians that much. And God whispers in our ear like God always does and says, Hey, I want you to do this now. I want you to go over and talk to this person. I want you to invite this person to church. I want you to show kindness to that person over there because they really, really need it. One thing after another that God leads us to do. We talked about this last week. And then we are confronted with the reality that we are not as strong in our commitment, in our faith that we once thought we were, see, on Sunday. And here God takes Gideon, and one thing after another happens because God's trying to show Gideon there's some things that you need to deal with, buddy. After all my promises, after all my demonstrations, after the fleeces that you threw out, after all these things that I've done, you're still scared to death. And I've got to know why, Gideon. Why are you scared to death? Down to 300 men, Lord, I know, but that's not a problem. Do you not understand that? So you go down there because I want you to understand who you are because you're not going to be able to correct this, Gideon, until you acknowledge it. And it's time for you to see who you really are. And you know, sometimes God does us that way and simply because he wants to point out some things in your life because you've got to ask yourself, why is it that in a life of a believer that God would allow a believer to have a child that's disabled or a spouse that's disabled. And maybe what God is trying to get you to learn about yourself is that you're not as loving as you thought you were. And so God puts you into the situation where your faith is going to be tested, your life is going to be tested. Your commitment to him is going to be tested and your opinion of yourself is going to be revealed. Sometimes God puts you in a situation where the family is fractured. Maybe there's been a divorce. Maybe a wayward child. Maybe a child that comes up to you and tells you one day that they're gay. Because God wants you to see maybe you're not as forgiving as you thought you were. And so God allows that to happen. There may be just the opposite sometimes because what God is taking you to this point for and and breaking you almost is because God wants to reveal something good about you. I never thought I could take that. I never thought I would be able to endure that. I never thought that I could stand that. And you know what? I look back and I think, boy, I did. 
And God reveals, you know what? Your faith is stronger than you thought. And what you can and can't do is probably way better than what you thought. You need to see that. And so, yeah, I think sometimes God does it because He wants us to look into the mirror. Maybe God wants to reveal something about us. So He takes us to the point in which we think we'll break, and then He takes you beyond that because God wants you to learn something about yourself. But there's another reason, very quickly, why does God take you to that point? And here it is, because God wants to change you. God wants to change you. Whatever it is that God's revealing about you, God wants to correct. He wants to change. He wants to make you into something that you're not. And in order to do that, He has to take you to the brink of breaking you. Or where you at least think you're going to break. And so, yeah, God takes Gideon down to 300 men in all of these horrible conditions of what you got to fight with and how are you going to do it, and then says to him, if you're still afraid after all the things I've said to you and the promises that I've made to you, then you go down and listen to what the enemy is saying. And Gideon goes. And when he gets down here, here's what he hears in verses 13 through 15. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. It, stu- it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now here's what his friend says. His friend responded, Well, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites into the whole, in, and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, He bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now, this raises several questions for me. Here are these guys, these Midianites, the enemy. They knew who Gideon was. They knew that he had raised an army. And they have a dream and God interprets it for them and gives them the interpretation. For Gideon's benefit, if nothing else, so that Gideon could know. And then my question as I look at this is, what in the world happened to Gideon? When he heard the interpretation of the dream, he has changed completely. The Bible says that he bowed down there behind the rocks, you know, as he's hiding out and listening. He bowed down and he worshipped. And all of a sudden... Gideon has had what I call, or what I refer to often as a light bulb moment. Because something happened to Gideon that all of a sudden he believed what God had said. When he heard these men, these enemies, and understood that they are afraid of him, they are afraid of his God, all of a sudden he just bowed down and he worshipped. Now what's going on with that? I believe that Gideon is probably confessing to God his sin. Is saying, God, please forgive me. I don't believe. I haven't. And I have been afraid. And I have doubted you. And I have called you names and thought you were crazy and questioned your judgment and said you don't love me. All the things that you and I say, if we're honest. He said, that's what I've done. He said, but let me tell you something. In this moment, I understand. The bulb has come on for me. 
And I understand that what you have told me is true and you're going to give this enemy into my hands. And when he goes back into his camp, he basically says to these men, get up guys because the battle has already been won. The battle has already been won. Notice what he says at the end of that verse in verse 16 or 15. He says, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands already. It's already done. It's past tense. It's already happened. We just got to go down there like God said and just claim it because God has already fought this battle and it's over with. These guys know it in their hearts. And it's time for us to step up and believe and to believe what God has said. There's a passage in Ephesians in which Paul is dealing with the Ephesian church. And he's trying to convey to these people the reality of God's love for them and what's going to happen in the future and how God is going to take care of them. And no matter what they're facing, because they were going through a horrible time of torment and persecution, he makes this statement, and let's do it very carefully, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says to them, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Now notice the verbs. They're all past tense. God raised us up. I mean, we're resurrected. God has already seated us with him in heaven. And Paul, you know, he's still alive when he says this. And he's trying to get these Ephesians to understand something. You're scared to death. You've been pushed to your limits. You've gone through through pure hell here on earth. And, and you're dying But you need to understand something. The battle's been won already. All you got to do is go out there and claim it. All you got to do is trust Him and move on. Rather than sitting there cowering in fear. And many, many of the believers there in that first century, their lives changed. For one reason only, that they stood in the arena of the lions and were torn to shreds or they were, they were taken and they were killed. And while they sang hymns to God, they faced this because they had finally had a light bulb moment in their faith. They came to realize this, that God has already beat them. This battle is over. And whether I live or die, the battle has been decided and I win regardless And guys, this is, I think, the conclusion that that Gideon finally had to come to. That God has told me this, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to move out in faith, and I'm going to respond. And if God lets me die, I still win. I still win. So in faith, yeah, I'm going to go down with my 300 men. And I'm going to confront this enemy as bad as it is because I believe in that moment that God is going to do what God said he would do. And if God doesn't, then I trust him anyway, and I'll die there with him on that battlefield. I think that God has to take us to the limits in order to squeeze out sometimes the things that are really there in order to change us. And we sit back and say, well, God wouldn't do that to his people. Well, you know he would because you've gone through it. How many of you at times in your lives have faced situations where you have been taken beyond what you thought you could bear. And all you did was question God. You didn't tell anybody, but deep down in your heart you questioned God. You accused God. Man, you threatened God. You told God. We've all been there. 
And we know that the ugliness is there, the lack of faith, the worry, the bitterness, the doubt, all of it's there. I want you to see what happens to Gideon when he comes back up the hill now. I want you to look with me in verses 17 through 18. Here's what happens. It says, he says to these men now, he's 300, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow your trumpets and shout. And here's what you're to say, for the Lord and for Gideon. What happened to this guy? What in the world? When he went down the hill, he went down the hill as a doubter and a coward. He comes back up the hill a leader. Because he finally understood. All I got to do is trust you, Lord. Live or die, I trust you. And he became the leader that God wanted him to become. Remember when God first met Gideon? Gideon's in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites. He said, greetings, mighty warrior. Because God saw this moment, you see. God knew what he was going to be. Gideon only saw what he was. With each of us, God sees something. He sees who we can become. He sees the kind of person that he wants. He sees giants of the faith in you. He sees people who can endure. He sees that in you. You don't see it, but God does. And when God presses you beyond what you think you can bear and puts you in ridiculous, horrible situations, God is going to teach you to trust Him. And God is going to teach you that the battle has already been won. You may have to go through a lot to get there. He will melt you and purify you and shape you and hammer you and cut you. But when it's done, you'll be an ornate, beautiful piece of jewelry. That's what you'll be. There's one more reason, very quickly, why it is that God takes us to these moments of despair, to the brink of destruction. And that is number three, that so that God can do the impossible. God has to take you there in order to do the impossible, because otherwise you'd think it was all about you. In verses 19 through 22, let me finish the story. It says that Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies of a hundred men each, the three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position, notice that, each man held his position. They did not attack. They just stood there. Each man held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now watch this. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. What's happening? Gideon has a torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other. You can just imagine as it echoes through those mountains. They smash these pots. It sounds like the clasp of swords against armor. 
The lights are all of a sudden appear. The army's right there on them, they think. They go into pandemonium and chaos. The, the fires down where they are have gone out. It's late in the evening. It's not early morning. It's total darkness. And they're routing and they're running. And they feel somebody beside them and they swing with their, with their swords. And they fight each other unknowing. And they begin to kill each other. How many did they kill? Watch this. Chapter 8, verse 10. These are the leaders of the Midianites. It says this now. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men. Now watch this. All that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. 120,000 men died in camp. They killed each other. 15,000 were all that were able to get away. And the story goes on that Gideon collected some more men. They went down and they took care of them. They killed them all. God can't do the impossible until the situation becomes hopeless. Otherwise, it's just coincidence in our minds. We think, well, maybe, maybe not. So God takes us to the brink. We think we can't endure anymore, and God brings us to that point, and then God does something that's impossible. And only God could have done it. What are you and I supposed to do during that time? You're right in the middle of it. You've just been told about you've got cancer. You've just been told you're getting a divorce. Your lot, your spouse is leaving. You've just been told that your child was killed accidentally. You've just been told you have some dreaded disease. The story goes on and on. Because for each one of us, it'll be different. But the, the, the result is the same. We are pressed to the point of thinking we're going to break. What am I supposed to do during that time? Let me show you. It's in the New Testament. It's in Philippians chapter 4 because Paul is talking again to the Philippian church and here's what he says in verses 6 and 7. You all know these verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry. Can I worry about some of it? No. He says, You shouldn't be worrying about any of it. Don't be anxious or fearful or doubtful. Don't be anxious about anything. But here's what you do. In every situation, what does that mean? Well, wait a minute, Lord, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. God says it doesn't matter. In every situation, as impossible as it may seem, here's what you do. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, Lord, I'm in this horrible ordeal. My family's falling apart. My health is failing. My money's gone. Doom and despair for sure. God says, here's what you do. You start praying. You pray and you petition me and you bring your request to me and you tell me what it is that you want and you give thanks for all that I've done for you. You worship me. Kind of like what Gideon did on that hillside that night. He said, here's what's going to happen. In the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding. In other words, you're not going to ever really be able to explain it. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you're in those situations, you bring this to me and you pour out your heart to me and you worship me. And I'm going to take my peace that nobody can really understand. And it is going to fill your heart and guard your heart and your mind from all the doubts and all of the anger and all the resentment. If you focus that attention back on me and trust me, I will give you peace. Now, I want you to understand something, okay? There's one thing missing from these verses that God did not say. Now, watch. God never said, bring your, part, your petitions and your requests to me, and I'll work a miracle on your behalf, and I'll answer your prayer. He didn't say that. He said, you bring your problems to me, and I'll give you peace. I'll take you through this. But God, wait a minute. This is impossible. God says, I know. But I'll get you through this. And you'll come out on the other side and you will worship me even more. But God, I need a miracle. I need something to happen to change the situation. And guys, God may or God may not do that. There are times in life when God works miraculously, we're told in the New Testament as well. But there are equally as many times that God doesn't work miraculously. But he still says, hey, I want you right here. And I want you to talk to me. I want to know what you're afraid of. Don't you dare worry about this. Don't you be afraid. You bring this to me and tell me why you're afraid. Because what changed? What changed? I started looking at the 135,000 soldiers to my 300. That's what changed. I started looking at the horrible situation against me. (laughs) Just me. Doubting where in the world are you? And God said, "Don't don't you understand? You've already won. You've already won. But God, what if I die? What if my wife dies or, or, or my kids die? Oh, God, what if the most horrible thing that I could possibly think of, what if it comes true? God said, you've already won. Sometimes we look at life and we think to ourselves, the most horrible thing that I could possibly imagine, what if God lets that happen? Somehow God must not love me. And God says, don't you understand, I love you. And I have my reasons for taking you through this, and it may be more than you think you can bear, but I've told you already, I will not let that happen. You'll never have to face more than you can bear. But I'll take you through it. And then you'll learn who I really am. Then you learn. I don't know, I can't tell you, I, cannot, I don't have an answer for why things are happening in your life the way they are. Nobody does. But I can tell you from Scripture that God may work a miracle and change the circumstances. And if He does, we praise God together. 
But if he doesn't, God says this to you, I'm going to take you through this because you're my child and you're already a winner. You've already won. The battle is over. Just let me do my thing. Let me show you what I can do on your behalf. You and I are going to have to come to grips with that and you and I are going to have to really do some soul searching and you and I are going to have to confess like Gideon did. Lord, I may just be a Sunday, a half Sunday faith. God, help me to have stronger faith. Help me to have stronger faith. And help me to trust you. Because right now, I've got to be honest with you, I don't. That's where you need to be. Be honest. Be honest. And let God take you through this. Because God wants you to understand that because of your faith in him and being in Christ, notice in just verses, put them back up there for me, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Look at verse 7. It says that he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because you are in him as a believer, you have already won. Because you are in him by faith, it's already over. All you got to do is trust me and walk with me and you will have peace. I promise you. I will give it to you and you'll be able to endure this. And you'll look back someday and you'll think to yourself, how did I ever come through that? God says, I did it. That was the plan all along. I never meant for you to. I did it. That's God's promise. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me read you this one last verse and then we're going to call it a day. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. It's these two verses, verses 8 and 9. Here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by work so that no one can boast. You've been saved by faith, is what it says. I left that part out. But you have been saved by faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. Nobody can boast. If you're here this morning and you have doubts about your salvation, if you have doubts about God's love for you, understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for you. And God the Father laid upon him all of your sins from the time you're born to the time you die. It's all paid for. He's waiting for you to understand that. And he's waiting for you to believe it. This is why it says over 150 times in the New Testament that you're saved by faith or belief. That's how you're saved. It's not by your goodness because we're not good people by nature. But the grace of God tells us that he saved us because we put our faith in him. We turned to him and we believed it. And God says to you and me, because we believe it, you've already won. You're an overcomer. This world can't hurt you. It may damage you, but it can't hurt you. And someday you'll be with me in heaven. That's God's promise. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then do it this morning. Right here where you sit, nobody's looking around, nobody's judging you. Just do business with God. Confess that you're a sinner. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've let you down, but I believe that Jesus died for me. The Bible says so. And I'm choosing right now to trust him to save me. I'm trusting you. God says it is that simple. That's all you do.
By faith you are saved. If you want to talk more about this, I would love to talk with you. There is a yellow card in the seat in front of you. You can fill it out and drop it in the offering plate. Also, before I let you go, before I close in prayer, let me say this. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'm having a class where we talk about the church, the doctrine of the church, the function of the church, the governance of the church, everything you need to know about this church, but also a lot of scripture about what God wants from us. If you have questions, just show up. Even if you haven't signed up, come anyway. It's at 2 o'clock. It's back in the fellowship hall. Just be here. Child care is provided. We've got somebody to watch the children. So just come and be with us. Also this, in two weeks on the 10th, we're having a baptismal service here on Sunday morning. There's an insert in your bulletin. If you have not ever been baptized, you need to be if you're a believer. I want to encourage you to do that. This is the first step of obedience for every believer. That you are coming out and saying publicly, this is who I am. This is what I believe. So I want to encourage you to fill that out and drop it in the offering plate. And um, I'll contact you and we'll go from there, okay? Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, Lord, we are overcome with the reality that some of us sometimes are, are Sunday Christians. We have tremendous faith in our own minds, but when we're pressed, when we're squeezed, when it becomes hopeless, Father, we give up pretty quick. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would trust you more and more with our everyday lives and the events of our lives. That, Father, when things are impossible, that we would know that we've already won because of our faith in Christ. That, Father, we would stand strong and we would believe what you have said to us no matter how bad life gets for us. May we be that kind of people that you might show yourself powerful on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.